know, if you have a recording device, mm -hmm. you can. It doesn't matter if it's a a well-produced record. Right. It could be a simple demo and sound stunning. It's like Bon Iver's first record right. for Emma. Yeah, you, know? you know, so I don't, I call bullshit when people mm -hmm. say, well, I can't afford the gear. Right. Uh, you know, they have all those fancy tools and I just can't afford that. It's just me in my house. Mm -hmm. No. That's a excuse, you know, right. Uh, a great song's a great song. A great song's a great song. Mm -hmm. And the essence of the song is what we want to hear, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to have all those bells and whistles on it. Sure. You know, it should work with just you and a guitar across your kitchen table. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business podcast i am your host Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. This podcast is brought to you by Ari's Take, of course. Uh, today's episode is awesome. I'm really excited for you to hear this. Um, my guest today is Chris Doritas. Uh, you probably know Chris Doritas from KCRW. He was the host of Morning Becomes Eclectic in the 90s. Uh, he has been at the station for about 30 years. He is someone who has pretty much hired most of the staff that we know of of KCRW these days. He's an extremely influential figure in the L.A. music scene. He also started the premier L.A. music showcase evening, It's a School Night. Well, it's just called School Night. It's a School Night.com. And he is the founder of that. He's a music supervisor, and he was Grammy-nominated for his work on American Beauty. He's done countless films before and after that. Um, he is also currently still a DJ at KCRW. He was A&R at DreamWorks Records. He has also launched a publishing company. Needless to say, Chris Dorita's rap sheet is extremely long and very exciting. So we get into a lot of this in our conversation. We get into how he listens to music and whether he's going to take a song that he hears and put it on his next show and what that process looks like. We also talk about how he uh, creates the music and puts the soundtrack together for the films that he works on. It's a very interesting process. So we get into a ton in this episode, and you're going to learn a lot. Chris also has a very interesting story as a theater major background. Of course, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ari Herstand or at Ari's Take. And then please sign up for the email list. That can be found at ariestake.com, where you'll be notified of all upcoming events and get regular information on the goings-ons in the music industry. And as always, please subscribe to the New Music Business Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you dug this, please leave a review. Let's dig in. I, you know, I continued doing, I did a ton of plays in school, but, mm -hmm. you know, when you're an actor and you're about to be foisted upon the world, you're thinking about, okay, waiting tables. I waited mm -hmm. tables all through school. I, you know, what can I do besides waiting tables? And there was this radio station in the theater building that I would always pass by and always be like, what's that about, mm -hmm. you know? 
and um, and I realized that they broadcasted Dallas from Fort Worth, so they were like they oh. had like access to a real audience. Yeah, right? so I yeah, thought, well, sure. Maybe maybe I can volunteer there, and mm-hmm. instead of waiting tables, I could I could do I could be on the radio doing that. So right. Just, yeah, yeah. So I went in there, volunteered, and they gave me a news shift. Okay. And I was doing. I came in to like rip and read the news one morning before mm-hmm. classes. And they just wanted to try me out in the air. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to tell you, you, you'll between you and I, mm-hmm. there's like what a foot and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's how close I was to the guy in the other <laughs> studio who was the DJ who was doing music, right? Oh, okay. And so I was going to be the newscaster that he would cut away to for the gotcha. three minute newscast. Yeah. So there was glass between us. Okay. And I'm sitting at the desk facing him. Uh-huh. And I'm. You know, he cues me to do the news, and I'm like ready because right. I'm an actor. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like <laughs> reading the news quite seriously, and the news story was the the news that the Pope um, had gotten shot at. Oh gosh! In his Pope mobile, mm-hmm. and I'm reading this. It's a very serious story. Yeah. Meanwhile, while I'm reading this on the air, the DJ across the glass from me. Yeah gets up on the desk on the other side, turns around, drops his pants, <laughs> and he bends over no. and gives me a very, um, uh, shall we say, uh, up-close <laughs> insight to, <laughs> to his ass. Oh, and if that weren't enough, I'm like yeah. trying to keep it in because I'm, I'm about to start laughing. Then mm-hmm. he pulls his cheeks apart. Oh, no. And he presses oh. his oh. ass against the glass. It's literally like Rosebud kissing the glass right oh, on my eye line. No. <laughs> This is day one. I, Welcome to the day, station. My <laughs> first, first moment ever on the radio, oh ever my in my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you now, stuck with it from I, that. <laughs> After this that, is pretty like, good. Right, right. <laughs> Man, this is great. This is great. <laughs> I love radio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Right. I thought cast parties were crazy. This is nuts. Right. So, yeah. no, so, so I'm like busting up laughing. And of right. course, the minute I get off the air and I'm like, you mother. You know, right. Phone starts lighting up. Beep. You know, yeah, uh, I, I came to you. That yeah. was the name of the station. The Pope. It's not funny. You know, oh, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry. You, you have to understand, you know. I mean, yeah, it's college radio. Right, right. Oh man. Oh, so anyway, so that, yeah. th- then th- after that, I was like, I don't like doing the news. I want that guy's job. Mm-hmm. So I, like I said, give me a music show. You know, were you into music before this? Yeah, I mean, of course. I was uh, like, you know, I was, I played music in high school band and stuff like that. But it was always musician. Yeah, I played okay. saxophone, and played okay. guitar and piano, nice. but I was never serious about it. I was always yeah. like working on plays. Okay, but okay. um. So they gave me a show a week or two later. Some some guy didn't show up for his shift, and so I got I got a, a Wednesday morning six to nine a.m. slot that wow. I kept all through school. Wow! And it was called the Morning Exchange. Okay. And it was a mixture of all styles of music: blues, bluegrass, uh, reggae, jazz, cool. Motown, new bands from down the street. Yeah. And, and so I I thrived on that, and I sure. learned how to put different styles of music end to end to make a set work yeah. using all styles of music. And how did you stay up? How did you learn all of that kind of music? Listen, find, source the music because for those shows. And- that college, that, that university is 
is, as you probably know, one mm-hmm. of the biggest music schools yep. in the country. One it's, of the best jazz programs yeah, it's in got the country. The, mm-hmm. the jazz library there is insane. One o'clock, yeah. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah, the one o'clock lab band was a big band. Anyway, so they had, it was like the whole library was jazz, and then yeah. they had small sections of, of some blues and some reggae and world music and all that. They mm. would come, you know, they would, the station was serviced. So they'd, okay. they'd get stuff sent And so them. would you go in... Outside of the six to nine a.m. to just oh, listen, hell yeah. I would imagine, right? Because you oh, need yeah. to start collecting and any spare moment I had, I'd be in there like digging yeah. into Mingus, and, and yeah. I, that's where I got my jazz like okay. learning. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I fell into Mingus and Coltrane, and sure. hearing other people's shows too. You'd be turned on to stuff, and mm-hmm. Eric Dolphy, and you know, all those jazz guys. That's where I got my stripes so in what the was, jazz world. What was your music taste leading up to that point? Like, what would you Pretty love listening shitty. to in high school, really? <laughs> I mean, I can tell you. I mean, you know, my first high school loves were, I mean, I grew up in Elton John and sure. Billy Joel. And then into high school, it was more like lover boy. And, okay. <laughs> you know, the cars were massive for me. Yep. The police, you okay. know, and getting into college, it was squeeze. And, yeah. But on the, you know, for me, jazz was David Sanborn. Mm-hmm. I was not hip in the jazz, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Until I got to college and started at that station, I was like, "Oh, yeah, this is really jazz." Right, right. <laughs> and then everything you else—bluegrass, country, yeah. reggae—you know, I when mean, you start getting into yeah. organic and thoughtful and and uh, you know, uh, from you know, rich music, mm-hmm. you start learning very quickly what's shit and what's not. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that Dave Sanborn was shit, but it was pop music. You know, right, that was pop. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I missed a lot of, I missed a lot of music trends because I was buried in jazz through those years, mm. you know, like I, punk, I yeah. missed okay. because I was swimming in the Mingus, yeah. Wellington, you know, the, all that stuff. Wow. Do you feel, do you still feel like you have a, a blind spot for punk because yes, of when it was coming absolutely. up you missed that i'm the era. first to admit it yeah you know uh when i when i later when i moved to la and there's a few steps in there in between but when mm-hmm. i did finally come to la and there was like a big punk tradition sure. and, you know the blasters and x and all that i mean i was like teach me you gotta I, you catch know, up yeah i gotta right. catch up right yeah but i, I could I could. I knew every jazz singer. I knew. Yeah. You know, I could distinguish the artists that played saxophone. And but like, you never. That's Lester Young. That's you know. Were a jazz DJ then, right after after yeah. this show? No, after? no, no. Of course, yeah. No, I did. Okay. Um, so yeah, doing that show, the morning exchange through college, I thought this is. I'm kind of good at good. Yeah. I'm getting good at this. You yeah. know, I never thought I had a radio voice, but I thought, hey, I can put these shows together, and, yeah. and I can tell it was good. You mm-hmm. know, and so. Um, I thought, well, I need to get a job at a real radio station and get paid for it. Yeah. If I'm going to, you know, finance my way into theater and sure, and try so to have a film thinking, career. Oh yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm an actor. Yeah, I, mean, actor I had, right. you know, I was, I had a SAG card, but I, while I was still in college, I nice. had an agent. I yeah. was going out on okay. film auditions. I was, sure. I was serious. And um, and the local NPR station in Dallas was had an opening, and I applied and uh, as a dj as a dj and they uh-huh. brought me into audition for a classical weekend show okay didn't know shit about classical right. <laughs> but i was still a waiter at the the restaurant in denton and uh, my one of my regular customers was this guy john large he was a big vocal coach in the classical department at, uh-huh. in, at north texas state 
And I told him I was auditioning for NPR, and he's like, ooh, that's great. And I said, but yeah. I don't know anything about classical. Could you ch- coach me? Yeah. So I went by his office, and he, you know, Chopin, Brahms, you know, right. Beethoven. He gave me all the pronouncers on everybody. Right. It's Haydn. <laughs> it's not, not Hayden. Right, right, you know, right. All that stuff. Yep. And, um, and so I went into audition, and I got the gig. I, I was acting yes. as a classical host, right. and I got, I got nice. the show. Yeah. So I did that for uh, a, a year, and then the nighttime jazz guy got fired, and I got the jazz shift. Oh, great. Okay. So, and I so knew jazz. There sure. I was doing mm-hmm. midnight to 5 a.m., five days a week. And then I got promoted into midnight uh, to 8 to midnight. And then we all figured... I, this is like my third year at NPR in Dallas, mm-hmm. and I was kind of starting to bump my head on the ceiling. But I was the nighttime, early nighttime sh- host, like eight to midnight, Monday through Friday. Yeah. And a little side note: I brought in Liza Richardson, who was at a station down down across town sure. that I loved, and so she came and joined me at that station. But nice in Dallas. In Dallas, yeah. and um, that's how we met. But the numbers were getting so bad. Uh, across public radio in general because... And this is late 80s? This is late 80s because classical... Stations were classical by day and jazz by night. And that was just a sinking proposition Uh, nationwide. uh Okay. And even though we were doing a good jazz show or did classical, good classical shows, it just... It was not not a winning, you know, uh, Mm. proposition. So they were like, what should we do? They had these little workshops with the staff and... Mm -hmm. Me and another guy who had been at the college station yeah. were like, what about this eclectic thing? Mm, you know, I used yeah, to do this show right. in college called um, The Morning Exchange, you know, and what do you guys think about that? Why don't we spice it up a little? Sure. Um, we had a classical show every day in the daytime, and that classical host would start adding in sketches of Spain or mm. some Window Hill stuff or some Vince Guaraldi or things that mm-hmm. kind of would n- play nicely, you know, mandolin, bluegrass. Mm-hmm. And at night on the jazz shift... I started adding in Tom Waits and Ricky okay. Lee Jones and Steely Dan and, and some jazz. No angry calls coming in? No, it was right. sn- slow. Sure, sure. Slow sneaking it in, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, uh, jazzier Elvis Costello, almost blue and, mm-hmm. you know, um, stuff like that. Uh, you know, um, and Sly and the family. So Al Green, nice. you sure. know, just slowly, yeah. slowly. And then over a f- six-month period... We ended up meeting in the middle. The classical uh, guy sort of mixed up his stuff, and yep. then there were things that we would start overlapping, uh-huh. you know. And then by the end of the six months, we were full on eclectic. Nice. And it, the numbers were just going all the right direction. Okay. I'll Texas really Monthly Magazine did a cover story on our transformation of the Dallas Public Radio Station wow. into an eclectic format. Wow. It was like huge news. Sure. And, you know, I was featured in that article. And, and in that, article in Texas Monthly Magazine, they compared us to a station in Santa Monica, California called KCRW. Uh And I was like, look at that. Uh, I want to be in LA because I'm working in film. Sure. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to LA Mm -hmm. and I'm going to work at that station while I'm continuing my acting thing. So that was like the the idea for the day job was going to be. Yeah. It's like, my plan is, is coming to Fruition. Aha, aha. So I literally, after that article came out, I cold called Tom Schnabel at KCRW. Amazing. He didn't know me. For, and I said, right. hey, we just got, you know, I told him about what happened. Sure. Jody Denberg, this great radio guy in Texas, put us in his cover story in Texas Monthly. Can I come out there and have lunch with you? Sure. Come out to LA, meet with Tom. Tom's like, ah, I'm sure you could 
find something with us out here. Yeah. It's all I needed. I went back to LA. I went back to Dallas, Dallas. quit my job. Oh, wow. <laughs> moved to LA within yeah. a month or two. Amazing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. First call when I get to LA. Hey, Tom, it's Chris. Remember we had lunch? Yeah. And on the phone, he was like, oh, wow. Um, well, gee, I mean, we don't really have anything for you, but oh, you know, I'm sure you find something around town. There's yeah. lots of stations. I was like, Oh no, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like an offhanded comment during one lunch. You probably you forgot it yeah. 20 seconds after you left <laughs> and like you rearranged your entire life around yeah. that one, that one offhanded yes. phrase that he said to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, okay. you know what it is to be 26. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my gosh. so, so what'd you do? You I started mean, waiting I, tables again I, <laughs> right. like, I, oh, I i would have done that if that's yeah. what it came to but i i blanketed the city with demos and okay. you know um and i even gave one to kcrw i went to kcrw to the management his boss mm-hmm. tom's boss gave them a demo and press clippings you know pledge ah. drive receipts oh, yeah. all uh, i had i had a press kit that was pledge ins- drive receipts oh yeah because you yeah. worked in an npr station i mean we, i showed all the great. numbers of the pledge drives oh, that had fantastic. gone up over yeah. the last year all i had right. the whole thing fit for publishing like it was yeah. a great package and nice. there was so many i had won all these dallas dj awards sure. and shit like oh, that great okay so i had a great press kit yeah okay so i went around town i knew classical right, so i applied right. at kusc sure. <laughs> i know okay. how to fake that one <laughs> um and uh lo and behold KUSC put me on the air. Jim Shveda, who's a big classical host, he still is here in mm-hmm, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. legendary host, amazing. Um, he had had a heart attack mm. right after I moved to LA, and they needed somebody to fill in for him. Mm. They put me on the air. Wow. Three weeks after I moved to LA, I was on the air hosting Jim Shveda's morning classical oh, show. Oh, wow. <laughs> doing my best to yeah. sound like I knew what I was talking <laughs> right, about. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, God. Um, and then, uh, you know, this was, this was uh, 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 May 1990. And yeah. then I did that for three months. And, okay. um, and then Jim, cha- Jim came back. But I was entrenched at KUSC and I started working at Marketplace. They had a show mm-hmm. there called Marketplace. And I was an editor there. And for a couple of months doing that. And then Tom Schnabel announces he's leaving KCRW. This mm. is six months after I moved to LA. Wow. For, after 10 years, Tom announces he's leaving. Wow. Um, tell the marketplace staff I'm leaving early. I go to KCRW, yeah, and I give them another package. Wow, you know, yeah, like prepared little like it's a scrapbook. <laughs> sure, <you know? laughs> it's well appointed. You know, yeah. it's footnoted. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. End notes, footnotes, all the notes. It's yeah. all right there. Right. I'm gonna fly right. <laughs> for morning becomes eclectic. Yes, you know? yes, yes. Okay, so um, literally the week after that, that I dropped that package off, Ruth. Hirschman, her name was at the time. Mm-hmm. Now she's Ruth Seymour. She was her, the the patriarch of K, the matriarch of KCRW. Sure. She called me into audition. And wow. I came into what audition. What does an audition look like for you a do radio the show. show? You do the show. You come in and do a show. But it's not actually on air. It's just it's you just on air. Oh, they put you on they air. Threw they me throw on the you air. into it. They threw me on the wow. air. Wow. And of course, I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had just done it. Right. For I was fully prepared. Sure. To do an eclectic radio show. Uh huh. You know. And not in the way that Tom did. Mm-hmm. You know, I did it the way I did it in had Dallas. You listened, had you been listening yeah, to his I'd show? Yeah, I'd been listening since I got okay. to LA. I'd sure. been listening for three weeks. Come okay. on. Okay, right, right. <laughs> no, I had no, been listening for that six-month period, of yeah. course. Um, and I knew how he was doing it, and I felt like, I'm going to nail this, because sure. I, I was doing a real, really, like, mm-hmm. almost commercial version of an eclectic show. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. more 
I think, a little bit more um, polished. And I can say that because when Tom had told me at some point that I sounded too commercial. Mm. So I knew that he saw it that way, which is fine. We're sure. buddies. Yeah. He, he definitely, we would agree that I was doing a more sort of polished commercial. Com- more you know, commercial, more polished um, in that realm. Using the same tricks that you would do on commercial radio, but not being hey, uh, right, and, and right. trying to be That's cute. what I think of with the no, uh, just commercial being radio. more like, you know, um, uh, being mindful of keeping things tight, mm. tight segues, sure, okay, um, building sets in a tight way. You know, Tom, uh, we just had different styles. Tom yeah. would tell you every song you were going to hear in the next set before he played it. Okay. And I would use the element of surprise. Okay. You know, like come out of a promo and just go right into a song. Yep. You know, I wouldn't tell you before the promo, hey, coming up after this, mm-hmm. you're going to hear mm-hmm. these things. I didn't want to give you an op- opportunity or a reason to tune out. Okay. So the idea was like, let's throw something out there. If it sounds great, sure. they're going to stay. Yes. So just throw something shit hot cool yep. after the promo and people are going to stay with us. You nice. Know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know. So you nail um, the audition. Or talking over music. Yes. Like you would talk over a bed. Yeah. You know, Tom, Tom didn't do that. I'm always you know, curious so, about that, actually. So talking over music, how do you know how much time to talk okay. as you're leading into the lyrics or to the verse one or something like well, that? Well, you know or, how long it is. You're looking at a clock. N- well, but you know, do you know when the singing starts just because you know the you, song so well? Or how does this work? Yeah, give it to me. Give me the inside scoop on how these DJs nail this stuff. Well, you know when there's a song playing on the air Uh and you're trying to figure out what to play next, because it's not always prepared. You don't prepare a full playlist before a show. Some people do and sometimes you do, but Uh most of the time there's moments where you're figuring out. While the song's on the radio, Mm -hmm. you're... Here's how it works. Okay. I'll start over. Yes. Before I put a song on the air, I listen to the end of it to know how it's going to end. Uh-huh. So then... While that song is now playing on the air, I have the end of that song in my head. Okay. Okay. So I'm like, okay, Waiting what would that. go good after that? Yes. Is it a fade out? Does it end cold? Uh huh. And it, you know, what's the tempo? You want to match that tempo? Yep. If you want to match the beats, that's something else. Sure. So you know how that song is going to end if you don't know already. Right. right? And so, um, so you get the next song ready, and you're listening to the beginning of it. Mm. So you're like. Two, three, four, five. Okay, 14 seconds before the song, before the vocal kicks in. Aha, okay. So you're like, okay, okay. what am I going to say for that 14 seconds? Yeah. You know, am I going to say, hey, it's Chris Doritas, it's KCRW, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, this is something new from Beck. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's five seconds. Right, So right. you let the song establish for five seconds, then come in on the next bar. Okay. Hey, it's Chris Doritas, KCW, so there's no, like, something new from special... Beck. And there is Beck. Yeah. Okay, so this is just all that you have to learn and practice how to do. I was, I was of course a... you have to practice. Well, no, I was anticipating there's some like technology out there that it's like, oh, you have 14 seconds until well, the lyrics start. Well, in commercial radio, one. they do have that because okay. they're using the same, whatever, 30 songs. songs. Right, yeah, you know? every hour. But mm-hmm. we're not playing the same 30 songs. Sure. You know, yeah. every show that we all play, we're yeah. all playing stuff we've never played before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single show... Each of us is playing things that we've heard once, maybe. Right. When we went, ooh, I like this. Yes. And then it goes into our folder for the show. How? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you don't necessarily know the song that well, so you have to finesse it. Yeah. And that takes planning and practicing. You practice before the show so you don't... Now, when you're hearing music, and what is your method of saving songs that you like so you know you can I drop them them into a folder that is on my iTunes that says, next show. 
Oh, okay. So they're all, you download them? You, these are all songs um, that downloaded? Well, we get them so many different ways, right? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm literally taking CDs off my shelf sometimes and, mm. and, uh, and uploading them into my computer if they're, oh, wow. if they're old CDs. Where I'm like, ooh, I haven't heard that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, by now, most of that's already digitized sure. uh, at the station and on my computer. But occasionally, like yeah. I ripped something the other day from my CD, wow. CD yeah. library. But um, usually it's now stuff that's in our inbox. Yeah. Or... Um, you know, we, we we get things from like you do. We get right. things from artists, publishers, sure. labels, lawyers. So yeah, you know, uh, art. Uh, I find things on Spotify playlists. Okay, it's one of my favorite things to do. Is like, oh well, I like, you know, um, I don't know, the Marias, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at their playlist that they put together. Aha! Because they're out traversing the world, they're going to oh, find stuff that cool. I might not find otherwise. Yeah. Or you know, Maria might have something that she grew up listening to from her you know, parents that some cool old Latin thing that I would have never yeah. known about that she... So the artist playlist. The one yeah, the artist making. playlist. That's, that's, cool. that's where I find a lot of great stuff. Nice. You know? So Jazz, is it always right. been something, I mean, it's been part of your job, but how do you keep the passion for discovering new music? I mean, well, it's not everybody's I've, passion. I've never, ever, ever faltered. You know what? You know what yeah. keeps your passion? Like every week mm-hmm. I go through... Probably, definitely hundreds, but maybe more than hundreds, maybe wow. thousands of like new things. Yeah. And it's like, no, next. Yeah. Next. So oh, how- wait, this is interesting. Oh, no, it goes bad. Okay, yeah. next. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God. Oh my God, this is so good. Back it up, listen to it. Uh, Flat, listen. Oh, this is, st- oh, this is amazing. Jump to the end. Oh, this is, this is golden. This goes into the next show folder aha uh-huh. you know and you go through and that's what gets you jazz right because you're sure. going through all this stuff and then oh this is so good yeah. oh it's a really like stands uh-huh. out of, yeah you know and that's what keeps you fueled because right. that happens every day or every other day where you're like oh my god this is so mm. good mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what it's like you know it's it's like a fix it's like a surfer yeah. getting that next wave wow you know yeah yeah you know like okay I, I, you know, I like surfing again. Here's sure. one of those waves. Yeah. 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 I waited all day for this. Here comes, we're going to shore. You yeah. know, this is, when so those how, moments come across, you're like, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about yeah, it. You know? Yeah. Wow. How much time do you spend with each new song? Is it like Very 10 seconds? Little. Oh, wait, you 20? mean when I'm like. When you're listening, I mean, I mean like. You listen to the beginning. Yeah. And then I jump to like 10 seconds in. Okay. It's not scientific. It's just sure. like skip, just, skip. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, get, I see where that's going. Because uh-huh. you want to see where it's going. Sure, yeah. And, and it's almost like um, hmm. when you're scanning the radio dial mm-hmm. and you're like looking for a good song. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, that's cool. What's that? And then it goes south and you're mm-hmm. like changing the channel mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So it's like that, you know, because mm-hmm. anybody could do that that's listening to KCRW. Sure. Anybody could be in their car on the way to the grocery store, flipping on the radio they have to come in at, they could come in at any point. Right. And so if at any point it doesn't ring your bell, mm-hmm. they're gone. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's the same for me. Like if at any point that I can cut into that song, uh, so I'm jumping through the sure. track. Yeah. And if it, every time I jump, it's like, ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh, oh man. Yeah. Ooh, I like where that, that's a cool chord change. Yeah. You know, every time you cut into the song, and if it's, if it's, if it's ringing your bell, man, then that's a keeper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super picky. Right, and so <laughs> well, I would imagine you have to be because yeah. you're probably inundated with just pitch inundated. after pitch after pitch from all day, every day. Oh my gosh! I mean, hundreds of emails every wow. day. And well, so I'm I'm curious about the emails. 
which ones do you choose to open and <laughs> which were like what you know what? what about a subject line or the sender gets you to open this email i mean i can't, i have to be candid with you man yeah. i mean uh i don't know three years ago whenever they had that option on gmail where you could put things in social or promote uh-huh, uh-huh. promotions well i just i turned that on yeah so frankly a lot of it goes into the promotions folder and a lot of it it goes i miss it sure that makes sense you know there are and you know this mm-hmm. there are companies that work records right that that will like yes. you know promote your record mm-hmm. do their street thing mm-hmm. uh, i'm not going to say the name of the company but they'll take anybody yeah if yeah. they pay a if certain pay fee, Absolutely. you know, and so I could literally, if I had my computer in front of me, I could type in the name of that company and show you hundreds of emails oh, that I'm gosh. getting week to week oh, from that to, company. I, I, I see if these artists only knew, yeah, if they and I, only knew, you know, and I, I, I could tell you this, I was in Nashville, uh, for some conference a few years ago and, uh-huh. and I was, you know, I was sitting out in front of a club talking to an artist named Liza Ann, who's great. Uh-huh. And uh, she played School Night, too. And I was really digging her stuff. And we were hanging out, talking out in front of the club. And one of her musician buddies comes over. And she's like, oh, this guy's really good. You should talk to him. So I introduced myself. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, we just put out a record. And I'm working with this company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, what do you mean you're working at that company? And he goes like, oh, well, you know, they're sending, you know, they, they probably sent you my record. And I'm like... It's entirely possible they did, you know? <laughs> and I said, can I show you something? Yeah. And, I, and he goes, yeah. And so I pull up my phone and yes. I typed in yes. the company name into mm-hmm. my email. And it, you oh, know, like man. filled. I said, look at this. And he uh-huh. was like, what's that? And I said, that's all the records I'm getting from this company in the last, this is, what, two weeks? Mm. I'm showing, I'm showing. My, how many do you think that is? He's like, that's probably 200 oh, bands. Gosh. Exactly. Look, Ugh. I mean, here's one at, you know, coming in at 5 p.m. Here's one at 3.20. Here's one at 2.15. Here's one, at, you know, going back and back and back and back and back. And it's just all day, every day, you know. Yeah. Like, how in hell? I'm surprised they're still in business. Like, how? who responds to that? If just because then you lose that relationship if you ever had it. Yeah. I mean, because I'm, I'm sure there are emails that come in from people you know and trust, and then they get an open right away, right? Or is it more? Um, I, I mean, it's kind of random when it comes through an email. Well, the ones that don't go to the promotions folder, I see okay. those. Yep. You know, and those are either from some kind of relationship of some kind, sure. right? So yeah, those do pop up um, in front of me because mm-hmm. I, I'm not. It's really rare that I go to the promotions folder. I might scan it, mm-hmm. but how in hell? So it's, and again, you know this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's more about building momentum in yes. a lot of different ways, so that hopefully. You know, you're going to, you know, I might see that the name of that band might fly by my face here, but Mm -hmm. then it also might turn up on the, you know, on the calendar at Hotel Cafe, or they might, I might see their name, uh, you know, uh, on the Echo lineup, or uh, they might get, an agent might pitch them for school night, or Mm. what you start seeing this name, and then you might hear them on your colleague's radio show, whatever, it's sort of this uh, what do you call it? You know, this sort of, well, yeah, it it builds an awareness over time. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So it's, it's mass, it becomes more sort of mass density. Um, well, it's like that rule of seven. They say, uh, it's like a marketing thing. It's like the, uh, the customer needs to be hit seven times before they're going to purchase. And so if you see it in seven different locations and then you're like, okay, let me, let me actually pay attention to who this person is. I've I've heard this name so many times Yeah, and then inspires you to take action. Maybe listen to the song. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I think, you know, there's obviously artists that I've come across that I come across every day that mm-hmm. nobody else is pitching or, you know, I'm not, I'm not, right. they don't have somebody working their record. They're brand new. I either stumble over them on SoundCloud. I, mm-hmm. I go through SoundCloud a lot. Oh. Um, uh, What's your or, SoundCloud searching look like? How do you go through SoundCloud? I have my stream. Okay. You know, that, uh-huh. that are things that I've clicked Followed. to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, you might see somebody that does a feature on that track and uh-huh. you're like, oh, I like that voice. Cool. Then you go to their page. Yep. You know how it is. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, 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 it's, it's, I'm trying to think of like an example of, well, I have this, I have this one listener who is a secret weapon of mine. Like Ooh. he's, a he's a regular listener to my show and he's taken it upon himself to send me things that he finds, That's amazing. you know, and, uh, God love him. He turned me onto this artist a few months ago that, you know, I jumped all over and shared with my colleagues at KCRW. And the look, most powerful look. listener in radio. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one example of how, yeah. you know, you, you, you come across things. Yeah. Um, and again, I'll, 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 I'll hear something on a, a, a Spotify, an artist playlist on Spotify, mm-hmm. who's obviously some, it's a buddy of theirs, that, you know, yeah. you come across, I'm trying to think of other examples of how I've come across things so early that nobody else, you know, would you say um, the majority of the stuff you play, or what percentage breakdown would you say uh, are songs that you've been pitched versus songs that you discover through other means? You say it's a vast majority. I would say discovered. it's mostly stuff I come through yeah. uh, other means. Okay, it's it, um, stuff that you're pitched tends to be kind of noise-like, mm. you know, uh, unless it's a real trusted resource, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I have an allergy to to, to, to being pitched, you know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can kind I of... imagine, sure. I mean, you know, you get... Uh, you get you get these packages that, mm. you know, you... I, I, I still get sent CDs. So I open the package. <laughs> there's paper in there, mm-hmm. and there's a CD. Yeah. We know what the paper says. Right. I don't have to look at the paper. Right. <laughs> Paper's going to say, oh, um, it's gotten play on this station uh-huh. and it's been supported by this reviewer mm-hmm. and it's gotten on this playlist and they are opening for so and so. And, um, you know, they, they worked with this mixer and this, you know, that mixer did this record and that record mm-hmm. and this, this producer, they were, they, you know what it says. It's just yeah. different, different names, yeah. same thing. So I open the package and I throw the paper away because uh-huh, uh-huh. really the only thing that matters. Is the music. Uh, so nice to hear that. don't waste time looking at all that. Sure. I don't care that they, I'm sorry that they spent so much money on that nice headshot, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I can't show the headshot on my radio show. Right. Yeah. <sighs> you know, and it doesn't matter that there's little candies in there either and <laughs> little sparkles that fall out all over my dining room table. <laughs> you know, I, that, you know, I don't need any of that. <laughs> you know, no swizzle sticks, no, oh you know, coasters, stickers. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Give mm-hmm. me the record. Yep. And make sure that there's an email address on there somewhere mm-hmm. or a phone number. Okay. That's what matters. Important. Yep. Okay. And then if the music works, I can always find a picture of the artist if I need one. Sure. Sure. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and if I want to know what, you know, yeah. uh, who makes the record and what producer and all that, I can find yeah. that online too. Have you? <laughs> I, right. Well, that's good. <laughs> so I always um, tell artists, don't spend money on that crap. You sure. Know? Has, has there been any packages that have stuck out to you where they did include something interesting, unique in the package? Like, oh, this is this is nice. No. No. Never. Sparkles. In fact, 
there's a curve, I think. Uh-huh. You know, the more cookies and brownies that come with the music, the <laughs> less likely the music is of any value. Ah, okay. Well, that's <laughs> noted. Stop spending so much time right. making cookies. Go write a great song. Right. <laughs> Seriously. That's great. Uh, I want that on I've a said that to so many artists yeah. I have. Yeah. Really appreciate the effort, but take that time and spend mm-hmm. it. Put it into songwriting. Mm-hmm. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with... BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. You know, I find that we're at this really interesting time in the history of music where because uh, it this is... This is water, right? This is <laughs> straight tequila. <laughs> we have an endorsement with Casamigos, and so <laughs> we are contractually required to give a pint of Casamigos to every guest. <laughs> yeah. Must be just... Right. Um, no, we're at this really interesting time in the history of the music industry where... Every artist has the same tools that pretty much the labels have and that right. we're kind of all on this equal ground. It's a ground. great thing. It's a great thing. However, artists are, I'm starting to see, tend to put the cart in front of the horse in, ten, in terms of... Marketing their music without a great song. Exactly. Of course. Before they're ready. Uh, tell me about it. And yeah. S- yeah. And so I know. We, yeah. Because they're able to get it on Spotify in two days doesn't yeah. mean it deserves to be Absolutely. out in the public. That's and right. so they don't spend enough time 
actually working on the music and the song and all of that. And so that's the challenge right now. I mean, I think for artists... Well, because they think the song is great. Absolutely. You know, you know, artists are not known for being their best editors, Mm -hmm. but um, some, some artists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hey, my mom likes it. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Exactly. You know, they said it's the best thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's ready for prime time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When you get those opportunities when somebody's going to click on you or listen to your mu- music you want it to be something you don't have to apologize for mm, you yes. know and when i say apologize for i don't mean quite literally but i mean well it's what i did with what i had and you know right, right. um you know if i i didn't have the money for the proper gear bullshit right. you know if you have a recording device mm-hmm. you can it doesn't matter if it's a a well-produced record. Right. It could be a simple demo and sound stunning. It's like Bon Iver's first record, right? For Emma, yeah, you, know? you know. So I don't. I call bullshit when people mm-hmm. say, "Well, I can't afford the gear." Right. Uh, you know, they have all those fancy tools, and I just can't afford that. It's just me in my house. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good excuse. You know, right. uh, a great song is a great song. A great song is a great song, mm-hmm. and the essence of the song is what we want to hear, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to have all those bells and whistles on it. Sure. You know, it should work with just you and a guitar across your kitchen table, mm-hmm. you know, with a, a, a mic, you know? Do you still discover music live? Do you ever go out to shows and, and say, wow, this is... Well, I'm just- fortunate that I have a, a, a series that um, that I, I, I see live music every Monday uh-huh, um, at right. school night. At school night. Um, and... Uh, but I, I obviously I check out shows beyond that. But sure. but school night is obviously a great weekly uh, opportunity for me to hear uh, artists that most of the bands that have played school night we we haven't seen them live before. Mm-hmm. You know they might it's be making their debuts, debut. right? Mm-hmm. A lot of LA debuts, a lot of US debuts, mm-hmm. um, a few world premieres. Sure. Um, you know you can mm-hmm. you can hear them online and stuff. But hearing a record. Uh, online and then seeing them live is wildly different as yep. as as you know and um you know sometimes it's better live yeah there are many many times where i hear it on you know and we book them for school night and i'm like mm-hmm. oh yeah it's him mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. and then you see them live and you're like holy shit yeah whoa yeah, yeah. and then you can go up to them afterwards like you guys need a better record right because <laughs> yeah you know yeah. i like what i heard online but this you guys are onto something, yeah. you know. Um, and then the other thing can happen too, where it sounds amazing on 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 record, mm-hmm. and then they just don't have the show together. You sure. know, they don't. The show itself is is um, not coming across. The songs aren't coming across in mm-hmm. a powerful way in, in the way that they are on on uh, on record. So it, it, there's, you know, and sometimes you have it's great both places, yeah. and sometimes yeah. it's not not. So let's talk about school night sure. because that's in its eighth, tenth year, right? Well, yeah, 10. you just celebrated the uh, the ten well, year. No, ten is coming up in uh, April. Oh, okay. So you're about to celebrate the 10th April. Year. Yeah, it's okay. coming up. That's exciting. It has become the premier showcase spot for emerging. Well, you artists. can say that. I, 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 mean, I would never say that. I know you wouldn't say, it, but I can say <laughs> that because it, because it is. I mean, all the artists that I know. I mean, school night is what they have their eyes set on when they want, when they, they it is this. It's the name. It's got a good name. It's got a catchy <laughs> it's got name. A good name. Right, right. But <laughs> how did it get to that point where it is this? How the is, fuck should I know? <laughs> you started it. <laughs> you should know. <laughs> you act right. like it was some plan. No. 
What did, okay, so why did you start it? Let's start there. <laughs> why did you start school? Um, well, I didn't think I'm going to start a weekly showcase. That was not a plan at all. Oh, okay. It was incredibly organic from the very first, hmm, you uh-huh. know, because you really want to know? You yeah, care? I care. I'll tell you very quickly. It's tell a long story, but I'll tell okay. you quickly. Um, I, I have to include this because... I really feel like School Night was born out of love. Mm. Uh, I I lost my child. Um, the uh, it was 20, 2010, and um, I, I my I lost I lost a daughter. And uh, the reason I'm telling you this is because I I a few months after this happened, uh, some friends of mine. Um, Gene Triplehorn and Leland Orser, they're both uh, really talented, gifted actors. They were, they wanted, they, they were, uh, they were doing a movie about a couple who had lost a child. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to come on board to help them with the music. And I was a grieving father at mm-hmm. that point, and I, 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 uh, I, I had to do it. You know, I did it. Mm-hmm. So um, that process of making that movie was a very powerful therapeutic thing for me to go through. The end of that movie making process, the cinematographer that was on that movie set up our rap party. Mm. Her boyfriend owned a place called Bordeaux. Mm. <laughs> and they had this rap party for this beautiful little movie that was helping a lot of people that had gone through something like that. Mm-hmm. The rap party was at Bordeaux. Wow. And that was the first time I'd been at Bordeaux. And I'm marveling at how beautiful this place is and mm-hmm. it was just one of these really feel good nights that you know you felt like there was a lot of love in the room sure you know what i mean mm-hmm. the owner mm-hmm. was taking me around the building he's like you should come dj here sometime hmm. i'm like i don't know i'm i'm a radio dj i don't right. know about making you know doing a club yeah i was petrified yeah never never dj'd in a club before sure wow okay i'll do it <laughs> i'll do it i'll you know why not? Let's just try it. Wow. You know, I'll just do, I'll, you know, I should do this sometimes. So yeah, I'll come DJ. Mm. And he knew I was trepidatious and he was like, well, look, you, you could have a band come in and uh-huh. play after you, uh-huh. you know, and then it's about the band and not about you. Yeah, and yeah. You could focus on, Hey, the band's coming up. Sure. You know, yeah. meanwhile, I'll just play these. So, um, we scheduled a night. He's like, do it on a Monday. Cause we're dark on Monday. Mm. You know, let's just do it on a Monday for the hell of it. Doesn't do well. Doesn't do well. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, but, but I want people to show up. I want it to, if I'm going to do a night, yeah, yeah, I want yeah, it to yeah. be, I want people there. Sure. I want it to be like a, a moment, right. you know? Yes. Um, so uh, Valida, who is a colleague at KCRW, mm-hmm. I asked her if she knew a promoter and she's like, oh yeah, you should meet Matt Goldman. Mm. You know, he can help fill the room. Nice. So I met Matt yeah. and we made plans. We're going to do this on a Monday coming up here in April. Let's get this together. Yeah. Should we call it something? Sure. Okay. So Valida, Matt, and I we were like started making a little, you know, <laughs> uh, Google Doc of yeah. name ideas. Yeah. You know, uh, Harbinger was one name that Harbinger. fell by the way the wayside. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, there were a lot of like you know, kiss and tell. There were a lot of weird names that mm. we just you know and. Um, Matt came to me at some point. He's like, I got the perfect name. (laughs) What? He's like, School Night. Nice. Yeah, it 
It's a Monday. Yeah. And all her friends were like, Fuck, Monday? I'm not yeah. going to Hollywood on Monday. It's yeah. a school night. <laughs> yes. You know? It's a perfect name. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So we lined up. I had Dawes headlining that show. Wow. And uh, The Like, a band called The Like, was opening for Dawes. You remember yeah. The Like? Yeah. And then the worst thing happened. I found out I had a conflict. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I picked a date. So... I was like, can I do the next Monday? And uh -huh. like, okay, do the next Monday. I'll get, and then Ann Lit came in and DJed that first one. Okay. Yeah. So now he's like, okay, well, let's just do a month. Yeah. You know, we'll yeah. do a month. Sure. So Ann did that one. I wasn't even at this. I wasn't, oh, wow. I wasn't at the first, first school, school night. night <laughs> and then, uh, so the next week, I, I, I called Brett Dennon and he agreed to do it. Nice. He was coming in. And, um, and a couple days after I had booked Brett, uh, Brett, I was at a restaurant in Hollywood and I ran into Chrissy Hine, The mm. Pretenders. Mm. And I'm sitting there talking to her, and she's like, "You know, I'm just here for a couple of days, but I thought maybe I should do an underplay somewhere. Nice. Nobody knows I'm here. Right? Yeah. It'd be kind of cool." And I was like, "Yeah." And she goes, "Do you know a place where I could play?" And <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Funnily enough, I yeah. do." I yeah. told her what was going on, and she's like, "Well, let me check out the venue." So the next day, she came down in the afternoon mm. to check out Bardot. She's mm -hmm. like, "I'm in." Wow, even after seeing it, because that's the thing about. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing about Bardot. I mean, <laughs> and I'm like, let me tell you, like, it has this reputation. Yeah. But that is the most surprising thing to everyone. It's not who a shows venue. Up. It's not a venue. It's not a venue. No, you show up, and I mean, yeah. it's just there's there's virtually no stage. I mean, the stage is like two inches high or yep. something like that, and people are standing around, crying. I mean, mm -hmm. that's part of the appeal, and that's it's you know, weird. The, yeah, I mean, it's weird. And then the the artist is on stage, and they have to like look sharp left and sharp right to see the crowd. Right. Because right. right in front of them is a there's a wall. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so but it's become yeah. wildly popular. I think that's part of the appeal. It's something. What's nice? It, it's almost. It very much breeds uh, conversation and networking, and that is something exactly that is. I yeah. think one of the. Um, it's got anti rooms. It has places. Yes. There's a flow. It, mm -hmm, you can, mm -hmm. it, um, and we found out the reasons that it works because we've been to venues where it doesn't work in New yep. York, which mm -hmm. we can get to, but, um, there's a flow yes. you can, you can take laps. And if you're not digging the band, you can go off into a corner somewhere upstairs, yep. have a conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're having a flirtatious situation, you right. can go find a quiet yep. part of the, part of the building and you yeah. can go out on the, on the fire escape and smoke a cigarette, whatever you want to do. Yep. There's places to escape. Right. And that I think is part, that is the big part of the appeal I agree. is because you see the band and then you go talk about them up there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the DJ's playing in between and there's a dance party that sometimes little breaks yeah. out there. And, and you yeah, have the little, great. you have that little cove behind the stage where yep. there's another bar, another bar. Yeah. It's a little seedier, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's little, um, little pockets, yeah. you know, which, uh, which kindle an energy. Sure. And, uh, um, a vibe yeah, that absolutely. is uh, hard to duplicate elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so Chrissy Hine played that second school night sure. and we had a line four blocks long. Wow. And, uh, and so we just kept going huh. and, uh, and I was just calling favors left and right. Cause I had mm -hmm. known artists over the years from KCRW. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, pulling in Neil Finn and mm -hmm. Lucinda Williams and, and, 
and Ben Folds and I was Moby at the Ben Folds one. I I he just played moved three to times, town. I think. Oh yeah. So I feel like this was maybe. So you launched in 2010, School Night. Mm-hmm. So this must have been. When was his first performance? 2010, 2011, something like that. I'd have to look it up. It was pretty early. Yeah. Because I just, it was early for sure. I just moved to town. I think I moved, it was our first year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I moved in, and I and I uh, I was I had just opened for Ben Folds like a year prior, and so I was kind of like, and you know, and I I saw his name come up, and I saw. This was uh, this was coming, and so that's how I, that's how I heard about School Night was uh, because Ben Folds was playing it, and then I went and like, wow, this is really cool and interesting. Got on the email list, and then you know, been getting the emails ever since. Yeah, um, yeah that was. Um, I mean, that's something that I can tell you right now. Oh, what is it? Ben Folds, Ben Folds, Ben Folds, Ben Folds. Um, oh, yeah, September twenty ten, September yeah. 6, twenty ten. Yeah, and then again a year later. So pl- he played twice. Okay, yeah, right. So it was right. Uh, September in 2010 and 2011. You know, one of those shows I don't remember the band, but I remember what happened was the band that played right before Ben at the show. He liked them so much. Oh, the, I, I got the story. I can tell you. Tell the me whole the thing. story because okay. he brought him on tour. I thought, yeah. The way it happened was Ben had emailed me and he's like, "Hey, I'm I got a day off mm-hmm. and it's on a Monday." Kind of do the school night thing. I was like, yeah, because yeah. yeah. I had mentioned to him, keep it in mind. Sure. And he did. And so um, he's like, well, you know, if you know any cool like local band uh-huh. that could open, I'd love to, I'd love to support a local band that cool. needs needs a little love. Cool. And so um, you know, Ben taught them some songs during the sound check and said, hey, you know, I want you guys to come up and sing with me. Uh, yeah. During my set. Cool. So he cool. taught them some songs. Mm-hmm. Lady Danville opened. Ben. Did his set later. They joined him on stage for some songs. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he's like, he, I said, what do you think? He's like, I think I want to take them on tour with me. Wow, man, that so is... he broke it to him backstage. So like, did you guys, you know, and they had a touring career before they had anything else. Yeah. I mean, you know, they got a booking agent from that. Wow. And they literally had a, a you know, a big touring year mm-hmm. um, because of Ben. Had they been a band for a very yeah. long time? Yeah. they had. Well, for, I don't know, a year and a half. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Um, Man, there's yeah. so many. I mean, but those those kinds of stories they're just happening all the time at at school nights. Hopefully, I mean, that's you know you right. want it to. If it feeds into the community, the mm-hmm. Los Angeles music community, mm-hmm. um, the artist community, I feel like if, if we're not part of nurturing mm-hmm. the area, the scene here, mm-hmm. then we're doing something wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's become it's the thing where I'm now going and I see people. I'm like, oh, who are you here to see tonight? I'm like, I don't know. I come every week. Perfect. And that's the thing. Yeah, that that you know, at the beginning, the first few years, it was like people were coming because of who was on the bill, right? Because we had Tears for Fears, or because we mm-hmm. had you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ben Folds. I was there, right? Huh? <laughs> ben Folds. Ben that's Folds. Why I was right. There, right. Yeah. So yeah. people were coming for the bill, mm-hmm. and then we knew we started to see a change. I don't know, five years in, four or five years in. Mm-hmm. I would go around. I'd say I was kind of not annoying about it, but I would subtly go around. And go, so who'd you guys come to see tonight? Yeah. And I'd started hearing saying I started hearing. Oh, I, I don't know who's playing. Mm-hmm. Wait, who's on the bill? Yeah. <laughs> like we just came down because we, you know, we heard because it's fun. It's the spot. You know. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well then we're 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 doing good because mm-hmm. people were just coming because it was a good good for them to come they just thought it was a you know fun place to come yeah and you're still djing most i of still right? in fact i've got to be there right know, in a yeah hour and a half yeah <laughs> but um yeah i still um 
right at doors when there's nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're the early set. Yeah. There's nobody there when I start DJing. Okay. Which okay. is perfect for me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But I like it because I get to play, start the vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, I can play a Billie Holiday song for my first song if I want to. Cool. I mean, I could anyway. Yeah. Because it's my freaking Right, night. right, right. <laughs> but, but, you know... Um, Nobody's looking at me cross-eyed when I'm yeah. opening with the Billy Holiday song. <laughs> or whatever, you know, I, sure. Ella Fitzgerald. Or, yeah, and I definitely, nice. I usually drop some jazz to start the night, mm-hmm. um, you know, or some, some cool like Elmer Bernstein or whatever. And Yeah. You know. Do you and, have uh, a, if people say, what kind of music are you into? How do you answer that question? Um, what I'm most excited about right now. Yeah. You know, that's really what I'm into. Right. Um, who did I hear? Uh, you know, we're digging Lewis, uh, Lewis Baker, mm-hmm. new artist from New Zealand. Um, so it's just the artist of the moment is yeah, really what you're what into. I heard because it's not, it's if you like five oh, days you know, ago, I'm into, I'm into, uh, you know, hip hop or I'm into rock or I'm, into I would metal never or, give like, you a you know, genre, genre as an no. answer. Sure. You know, right. there's great, 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 great music of every stripe. Yeah. And most of the artists that you're really digging have a little bit of everything in mm-hmm. them, you know, mm-hmm. What right. are the Beatles? Right. The Beatles are the most eclectic band ever. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. There's Indian sitar music in there. There's right. like vaudevillian yeah. stuff in there. There's, yeah. you know, uh, acoustic folk in it. Yes. Yeah. Because it's interesting because you've done so much music supervision as well. And with that, you have to be a very specific, uh, it's a very specific process, not just playing putting on what you like necessarily. You have to fit the tone <clears throat> and the vibe. Oh, okay. All right. Educate I, me, school I, me on this because right, but it has to. There's a there's a tone and a vibe, and and you have to mix match the 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 essence of the picture, or at least the. the I would of challenge. The I would change that. Okay. I would say All that right. the finished product of a film mm-hmm. uh, creates a tone and a vibe that is born out of what elements are in it. So okay. it's not like going in. You don't at the very beginning sure. of the process go. This is we want this movie to sound like. Uh, you know, this vibe. Yeah. And so all the ideas have to kind of fit into that vibe. No, that's not how it works. You're, you're answering the dramatic needs of the story. Yes. Right. Yes. And those lead you to create these fitting choices or come up with these fitting choices that help under, uh, underline the drama of the story. And then you end up in over time of finishing the movie, creating this tone and vibe that's born out of the story and the characters. Do you feel that each project that you work God, that on... that sounded like something that would be... Uh, I mean, that was, that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> we're, we're right that down. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the moment that we play before. It sounded pretty pretty high high and lofty, but, but yeah. what I'm trying to say is, you. I mean, I, I can only speak to my own experience on movies, but I've done 50 or 60 movies, yeah. right? You never know what you're going to start. You don't know where it's going to go. Mm. You're starting from zero. You're starting with the script. Right. There's no tone in the script. You're starting from the script even before. So you start working on the music. Before, before. they shot a frame. Wow. Of course. Oh, okay. Now, there are examples where you come in late because sure. you thought about it at the last second. So that's very different from TV because TV, you work with the episode given to you, right? No. No. I start, start with, with the script. script. Okay. Yeah, you're you're on the creative team with everybody else. You're huh. starting from auditions. Wow. You're there. I mean, As ideally. As a music supervisor. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. the same fee if you start then or you start later. Uh-huh. Sure. It's the same fee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I always tell the producers, don't wait. Mm. Because I can give you example after example where you, an idea of music that you came, that you, 
a musical idea that you've given to the director before they start shooting mm -hmm. can change what they're going to shoot. Whoa. Here's an example. Yeah. I got brought on to Austin Powers. Uh -huh. I don't know if you saw Austin Powers. I saw all okay. of them. Okay. So the first Austin Powers, obviously. Uh -huh. Yeah. We didn't know what Austin Powers was. Yeah. You know, um, my first meeting with Mike Myers, he was showing me a clip of him uh, improvising this character, Austin yeah. Powers, at the Groundlings. It was literally like, wow. you know, somebody had shot a little loose video of yeah. him up on stage oh doing this character. Uh -huh. Like, okay, that's the character. Here's the script. <laughs> Went and read this script, came back, met with him again. And we're talking about the creative in it. And he's like, you know, it's, it's late 60s, but it's, and I'm paraphrasing, but mm -hmm. before the drugs kicked in. You know, yeah. like the sunshine 60s, the happy 60s. Mm -hmm. Not 68 drug, you know, heroin, yeah. you know, you know not, mm -hmm. not Martin Luther King died, mm -hmm. Bobby Kennedy died. Not you know, before that, mm -hmm. you know, before the summer of love. Mm -hmm. So... 66, 67, mm -hmm. everything's peachy, yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of happy-go-lucky 60s, yeah. right? And he was like, had this word shagadelic, right? Mm -hmm. But he's like, what does shagadelic sound like? And so at this little creative meeting, we're like throwing out names, you know? And, uh, and he mentioned Burt Bacharach. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I just had Burt Bacharach on my show. I know he's open to doing things. Why don't you just get Burt? Yeah. You know, he's like, oh my God, do you think he would do it? Of course. Why not? Right? Yeah. Um, but I went away from that meeting, went back to the station and started mm -hmm. rifling through the music library and just pulling things that felt like what we just talked about, mm. you know, and then yeah. I put together a compilation and I brought him the first compilation. The first compilation had this thing by Rowan Kirk. Remember I had a jazz background. Yeah. So I had this Rowan Kirk thing. Mm -hmm called Soul Bossa Nova mm. on that on that first compilation. Yeah. The next meeting I go to, I walk into the meeting and he's like, okay, everybody, we're gonna rewrite the beginning of the movie. He's like, we're gonna do it like help, you know? Yeah. Like the Beatles. And he starts he goes over and presses play on the jam box and presses Soul Bossa Nova. That's starts tough. playing right? Yeah. And he starts dancing around the office like right. this is what we're doing. You know, it's like, you know, it's just like the Beatles running from, you know. But he this the music made him change the way he shot the movie. Yeah. The way they started the movie. They changed the beginning of the movie, you know? Wow. And so, so he yeah, and it turns mm. out he's like, I he'd forgotten about this song. He he goes, yeah. I, I I knew the song because it was part of a theme of some show he grew up with in Canada. I didn't sure. know that. You right. Know? Uh -huh. But it was like if we had, if they had waited to the end, uh -huh. that would have never been in the movie. Yeah, I mean it, that even feels kind of like you know? a musical, uh, like a musical theater kind of moment, yeah. more or less. And it became the theme for so, that. Like they can't well, do what, an Austin Powers movie now without that song. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the one thing that everybody remembers yeah. from. Yeah. But if they had waited till post, mm. sure, wouldn't have happened. Wow. And is that how most films work? You're there from the beginning? Um, most of the time. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously if you're coming in late, it's because it was a tiny little independent movie and they didn't have the money for that mm -hmm. or they fired somebody Yeah. Okay. and you're replacing somebody. Um, you feel most have... Uh, or there's also opportunities where like movies, they thought they would just have score the whole time and then they end up uh, shooting and they sure. realize hey, there's an opportunity yeah. for some songs. Yeah. And then they bring you in. But Do most... Films have a have sonic boundaries that you work within. Meaning, no. That my job is to help them figure out those sonic boundaries. Yes. So, because um, I'm usually there before they hire a composer, so I'm helping them 
you know, with composer ideas. Yeah. The whole job at the beginning is to define the musical world that the story lives in. Okay. So yes. most of the time the director has no idea what they're thinking music-wise. Occasionally you find directors that are like big music heads and they, mm -hmm. they are very clear about what they like mm -hmm. and there's like a, a song they want to start with. Like mm -hmm. on The Addams Family, I just did The Addams Family, mm -hmm. the animated uh, version of the film. Conrad Vernon I'd worked with on Shrek. I uh -huh. did the Shrek films. Yep. Um, and Conrad is a big music head and he was like, we want this to be like, you know, Eastern European authentic gypsy music for the score. And, and so that, you know, steered us in a direction toward composers. Okay. And then when it came to like the openings, uh, the songs for the movie and what the movie might open with, mm -hmm. you know, he, and I knew he was thinking this cause we were friends and he shared this with me early on, but he was like, he played me uh, a song we all know and love screaming Jay Hawkins. I put a spell on you. Mm -hmm. Da -da -da -da. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. right? It's got this loping kind of 50s jazz noirish kind of. It's a really cool, and there's something about it that almost feels Eastern European. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, sure if I can put that into words, but it does sure. feel sort of, you know. Anyway, so that was like the hub of the wheel that everything else would kind of pinwheel off mm. of, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when you have, and I've worked on films before where we've zeroed in on, okay, this is the sort of krypton, uh, the, uh, you know, the, um, um, this is the clue, yeah. the, the main clue of where everything might kind of spin off of that. But okay. that doesn't mean it's all going to sound like that. It just means it has to somehow kind of, fit nicely with it sure. look at look at pulp fiction one of the most famous soundtracks right yes um and still one of my favorites yes there's a pulp fiction sound yeah right mm -hmm. we can all sit here and play any song yeah and go that fits the world of pulp fiction definitely that one doesn't yeah you might hear a song that sounds like pulp fiction yeah right that movie did an incredible job of building a sonic world, a yes. musical world that that story lives in yes. that is unique to Pulp Fiction. Did Quentin Tarantino music, did he pick all the music He basically, he, right. wrote, he wrote to the music, yeah. and, you know, and there was a supervisor, um, sure. but she, and I've talked to her about this, so, yeah. you, know, you know, they, they're largely serving his vision. I mean, you're always ser so serving the director's vision, sure. but in his case, he's got solid ideas of what, yeah. he, of he, what he's looking for and what he's written to, and you know, you might bring him things that are in that same... He's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. It's, it fits, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's ways you feed... You can feed things to him, but yeah. he's very particular. So my point is that if you look at the songs that are in Pulp Fiction, yeah. you've got like a Ricky Nelson song. you got a surf song. Right. You've got, you know, Ricky Nelson's from the late 50s, mm -hmm. right? And you got this surf thing. Then you've got like, you know, Urge Overkill, this, uh, you know, alt-rock band. Right. I mean, they're, if you take song by song... It's very, they'd all end up in a different genre bin at right. the record store in a journalist's review. Yeah. They're all different, quote unquote, styles of music. Genres are sure. another thing I have an allergy against. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, genres are things journalists need to describe something because sure. they can't play you the music. I'm in radio. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to say, hey, coming up next, uh, right. an alt rock song right. from. <laughs> no, right. you decide what it is. Here's, yeah. I'm pressing play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, but if you took every song in Pulp Fiction, 
they on their own don't right. sound like what you might call a style or a genre of music, but, but taken together yeah. with this yeah. story, yeah. Yeah. it's a sound. Yes. yes. And that's what I'm doing on every film. Uh, that's the goal. Okay. And you are, okay. you know, there are varying degrees of success with that. Mm -hmm. And some are more exhilarating than others, but that's the goal. You're creating a unique musical world that this story lives in. American Beauty, you had a Grammy nomination for. Yes, that's true. And tell me about the process of that. Did that of feel getting a different? Grammy nomination? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let me the, going to the Grammys. Let's I talk didn't about even, the red carpet. I didn't even know there was a category for this for soundtracks, and it turns out that I was right. There wasn't one until that year. Really? I walked into yeah, I walked into my office the morning the nominations came out, and my assistant was like, "Congratulations on the Grammy nomination!" <laughs> what, I was like, "What I do?" I, I laughed. Record, I was like. Right. Ha ha. She's wow. like, no, no, really. I was like, for what? What do you mean? She goes, for the record. I'm like, what record? <laughs> you know, I'd worked on several records. Mm -hmm. and she's like, American Beauty. I'm like, the, the Grammy, they did no, they 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 opened a new category wow. and were nominated. I was like, yeah. ha, okay. Wow. <laughs> but uh, what do you mean? What do you want to know? Did, about did the it did it feel different working on that film than other ones, or is it just because uh, the success of the movie, people were looking at the soundtrack a little bit deeper. Did do you? Do yeah, you... I think that we had the benefit of the success of that movie. I okay. think, in in hindsight, I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I'm proud of the movie, and I'm proud of what we put in the movie, right. and certain songs in particular. But is it your best work you've ever as done? a soundtrack? No. Yes. Okay. That's what. No. Um, but you know, American Beauty was. It was unique because for me because I was working at DreamWorks at the time mm -hmm. and I was a and r executive there. Right. And so because I had done films as well, I was staying in close contact with the film division at DreamWorks. Oh, okay. Just to let them know, hey, if you guys need any help with things. Cool. You got any movies coming up that might, you know. And um, the, the producers, uh, Dan Jinks and Bruce Cohen, who are at DreamWorks, mm -hmm. said, well, we're working on this movie that we don't have a director for yet. Mm -hmm. and it's called American Beauty. They sent me the script by Alan Ball, and I read the script, and I was like, whoa, yeah. this is one of the best scripts I've ever read in my yeah. entire life. They're like, I know. Isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and and they, had, you know, they, they brought in Sam Mendes, who had done Cabaret on Broadway, and, yeah. and so I, I, I was jumping to do this movie. I said, they said, well, when you get a, we get a director, we'll, we'll let you know. You can, you can uh, interview with the director. Mm. So when they brought Sam on, he, I, I brought him a, 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 a collection of ideas. Mm. For the meeting, nice. And I said, "Here, I love this script. I'd love to help." And he hired me. Cool. Um, and on that original tape was Betty Carter, "Open the Door," "Use Me," Bill Withers. Mm -hmm. There were things that, that ended up in the movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And over time, I pitched them "American Woman." Yeah. I, I, I was working on uh, the second Austin Powers at the same time, and I pitched both movies, American Woman. <laughs> and and Sam comes to me at some point. He goes, you know, yeah, I think we're going to use American Woman. I'm like, oh, but wait, uh, I also pitched it for this other movie I'm working on, American, uh, Austin Powers 2, yeah. and I think they're going to use it too. He goes, oh, I don't care. It's different, different audiences. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the song ended up in both oh, movies. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, it be more different films. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Spacey's singing it when he's going through the drive-thru in American right. Beauty. Yeah. And in, in uh, Austin Powers 2, Lenny Kravitz is doing a cover oh. of American <laughs> Woman. That's funny. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. But, 
So, right, because you were at DreamWorks, um, you, did you start A&R there? Because you were with, you were at Geffen Records. I was um, Geffen before DreamWorks, just right. as a consultant. Okay, and, and then, then David when, Geffen when, started DreamWorks And then Records. David Geffen started DreamWorks Records, and, uh, and they brought me over from Geffen to be a full-on exec, yeah. And what was that process like now that you're looking at, as an A&R person at a record label, looking to artists, not just yeah. songs anymore? Now I, you have to co- think of the entire In so many ways, world. I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I mean, I'd never been a full-on A and R executive, mm-hmm. and they were a very hands-off team. Okay, because they were a team of A and R guys. Yeah, you know, from Mo Austin to Michael Austin and Lenny Warnaker and Geffen himself. I mean, they were all A and R guys. Right. You know, so they they they. I mean, to their credit, they left everybody alone. But I kind of needed some guidance. Sure. You know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But uh, but nonetheless, I did. You know. I was there for four years and brought in some things. I brought in eels and, mm-hmm. but I didn't work with them as an ANR person. I, it was like how I got the job. Mm. They were like, "What would you sign if you were an executive at DreamWorks?" Yeah, and I gave them the eels. Yeah, I'm like cool, we'll sign that, and <laughs> you can be hired. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you've—I mean, because how long are you there? Four years. Four years, and now I mean. You've kind of evolved into artist management. Uh, no, I don't manage any artists. You don't manage any artists? Didn't no. you manage Oren Levy back in the... I don't know that I would call it management. Okay, we started a label that? together. Oh, okay. Yeah, to put out his album. Okay. Yeah, we had an, a label together that put out um, uh, Oren Levy's um, album. Yes. Okay, okay. And then but you um, you started kind of a, a publishing uh, yes. division. Uh, or... I realized it was kind of a final frontier that I knew very little about, and I wanted to learn about it. And I had a, a dear friend, Lionel Conway, who's a legend in the publishing world. Uh-huh. He started Island Publishing with Chris Blackwell, yeah. signed U2, signed Tom Waits. You know, Anyway, so he had been coming to school night, and mm. I was like, I want to learn more about publishing. I'd like to... Uh, learn from you. Mm-hmm. So we started a joint venture, and I brought in, I brought him Andy Schaff. Andy Schaff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm incredibly proud to be working with Andy Schaff. Mm. He's got a new album coming. Um, it's yeah, he's he's very special. Did you start it because of because of Andy, or was Andy no, just no, the first I was it was just that, yeah, I was like, let's see what. Let's yeah. see what I come across. Okay. okay. You know, and and uh, and then I had heard, you know, uh, I, I got sent in one of those packages that I get in my house, uh-huh. you know, uh, a CD with some paper in it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was uh, the bearer of bad news. And I was like, this guy's interesting. And I uh-huh. reached out to the manager. They didn't have a lid. They hadn't they had nothing really mm. going on. Um, and uh, and he goes, well. Yeah, Bear of Bad News is available, but he's also got a, a whole album in the can. Can I send it to you? And he sends me The Party. <laughs> and his next album yeah. on a SoundCloud link. And I fell off my chair. I was like, wow. are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I brought it to Lionel. We tried, we went after it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I brought him to Tom Windish. Mm-hmm. Tom came on board as his booking agent. booking agent. I brought it to Anti Records and they signed him on the label side. Amazing. I mean, so that's this, what a manager does. <laughs> but yes, you were, but, right, you're a connector. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, it's, but you're that's not what there producing is. That's what managing day. is. That's sure. what, that's yeah. what, uh, you know, if you're doing it, if you're a good publisher too, I think that's what you're sure. doing too. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're somebody that's on the team that's yeah. helping to bring value to the artist's vision and goals. Mm. That's what every team 
everybody on the team should be doing that. Mm -hmm. We know good and well that's not always the case. Right, for sure. But if you're bringing somebody, and I know you preach this, mm -hmm. but if you're bringing somebody onto your team and they're taking a cut of what you're doing, mm -hmm. they better be bringing value Absolutely. to what you're doing in every way. They should keep you top of mind. Mm -hmm. And we all know that these major publishers and oftentimes the major labels people running the company don't even know they have the artists on the roster, <laughs> right. let alone have oh heard gosh. the album yeah. or keeping them top of mind. Yes. You know, so, yes. yeah. Mm. So you've done so many things uh, throughout your career. Yes, I've been around for a while. You've been, yeah. But where, what are, what are you most excited about right now that you're working on or that's coming up? Yeah, I, I, I probably can't talk about them, but I have okay. basically, I have, I'm trying to do more producing. Okay. I have, um, I have, I have some uh, like film producing, film and TV okay. and and podcast projects and cool. Some are involving music and some aren't. Mm -hmm. um, there, I can tell you about one of these projects because it's a book I've optioned and it's mm. um, it's it's definitely my project. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, some of these other things people could run off with, but this one. Nobody could run off with this. It's a, and nobody would. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's incredibly dark and 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 uh, and terrifying. But um, can I tell you about it real quick? And Please. Then, uh, yeah. 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 So I I <laughs> I was dating this girl in Iceland like ten years ago. Okay. And we're in Reykjavik, and she's like, we're hanging out at the hotel room. She's like, Hey, do you want to go to that party? And I was like, But she did it in an Icelandic mm -hmm. accent. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's pull the trigger. Let's go to this party. And she's like, "Pull the trigger, you Americans! You, uh -huh. you talk so violently." <laughs> I'm like, what, Paul? Yeah. Oh yeah. She's like, "Yeah, but you say all kinds of things." You know. I'm like, "Oh yeah, like like riding shotgun, or uh, you know, bite the bullet, and yeah. you know, uh, collateral damage and mm. surgical strike." You know. So like, yeah, this. Huh. I'm flying back to LA, and I start making a list of all these, and I you know ideas that are popping in my head. They're all coming to me like. Circle the wagons, you know, mm. nuclear option, all these things. Mm. Bikini, you know. I made a list. I had a hundred of these things by the time I got to L.A. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's something here. Wife beater. Wife beater. Yep. It's on my list, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you hit on a woman. Mm. Yeah. What's that about? That I mean, is really interesting. I never thought about that. You don't think horrifying. about a lot of these things, yeah, right? it's a horrifying, yeah. Right. So when you see them in a group, it's like, huh. wow. Right. You know? Um, shoot yourself in the foot, uh, yeah. you know. Um, drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I could go on all day. Um, <laughs> but one of these words, bikini, kept drawing me back because there's there's a lot of violence and I don't know death that, behind the word bikini. Do you know that? No, okay, I don't know so the origin. I, of I didn't either. So okay. I, I, I vaguely knew, yeah. but I looked it up, and you know, any Google search will tell you that uh, uh, the the guy that invented the first bikini back in the 40s. Uh -huh. um, he was looking for a name for his new little skimpy swimsuit. And in the headlines that summer in Paris and around the world, uh -huh. we were doing atomic testing in the Bikini Atoll in the Pacific. Oh, wow. Like severe. Okay, so there was Hiroshima, there was Nagasaki. Those uh -huh. were the first two bombs, right? Uh -huh. And then the third atomic weapon that we dropped was on Bikini when we were doing some testing to see wow. what effect the atomic bomb would have on our own fleet. Oh, my gosh. So we put all these, you know, decommissioned ships and yeah. submarines and stuff in a lagoon in huh. Bikini and bomb the shit out of it. Wow. Okay. Well, wait, if we did that, what happened to the people of Bikini? Mm -hmm. What happened to them? Mm -hmm. So I'm already doing interviews for this book that I'm doing called Fighting Words about all these 
words and phrases that we have mm. that have this violent background. Mm-hmm. So I fall into, I want to look for somebody that survived or was displaced from bikini. Wow. And I go looking for somebody that had survived that. And it's a very hard thing to find one of those people, mm. you know? A lot of them have di- died. Mm-hmm. The ones that are alive don't really want to talk about mm-hmm. it. I ended up getting introduced to a descendant of one of them, and he's like, are you sure you want to be talking to me about this? Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it could be dangerous. What? I'm just a public radio mm-hmm. DJ. What do you mean? No, it could be dangerous for you and your family. Whoa. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Anyway, I, he turns me on to a writer who wrote a book about his sister who had passed away from cancer from being downwind of these tests. Wow. Get the book. Contact the author, option the book, and now we have the book out, and we're looking to. You're developing like a narrative. Developing it into podcast? a podcast. Mm-hmm. Wow, man, I got chills. I want to listen to this <laughs> this show. I love these kinds of shows. Um, so you're you're getting into this podcast realm. Is this how do you see podcasting being different than radio? And does it is it inspiring you in different ways? And where do you think radio's heading I mean, now that we have podcasts and. I mean, podcasts are basically radio mm-hmm. shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's got the name podcast because it's coming to you through initially iPods and things, right? So mm. um, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I think that the fact that there's an appetite for people um, that want to hear, you know, deep dive stories and and learn and... and um, explore and better themselves, mm-hmm. um, enlighten themselves, educate themselves, mm-hmm. uh, entertain themselves in ways that they didn't. Pre- it's fantastic, mm. you know? And we've seen examples of how these things grow beyond the podcast if they if they um, can build an audience and build, mm-hmm. you, know, um, uh, you know, capture the imagination sure. um, in the way that you hope to do when you set out to do these things. Mm. So it's very exciting for me. I've 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 always thought that I would later get into, you know, more hands-on, ground-up involvement in some of these story-telling things that sure. uh, that I get drawn to. So amazing, yeah. Well, Chris Doridis, thank you so much for coming on the show. There's one final question that I ask all of our guests, and it is, "What do you think it means to make it in the new music business?" Oh, come on, yeah, that's an easy one. Tell that's me. a lob. Okay, <laughs> hit me. Let's smash it out of the park. I mean, if you're able to feed yourself mm-hmm. and um, and feel like you're being creatively uh, um, satiated by the work you're doing, is that not success? I love it. I agree. Great, Chris Ritas. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features 
annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out DistroKid.com. Uh -huh.